Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, she's a track and field Olympian with Team Canada, the founder and keynote speaker of the Believe Initiative, and the founder and coach of the Leadership Launch Program. It's Sarah Wells. How are you doing today, Sarah? So great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to learn more about your Rise to the Challenge. What we do first with all of our guests is we start right at the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in... Um, Toronto, Canada. So depending where your listeners are from, you might know Toronto because Drake is from there. Um, And so it's our claim to fame for sure. Uh, And growing up, I honestly like, I I didn't have like a thing, you know, like I didn't, I wasn't always good at sports. I wasn't always like, you know, had a destined path to the Olympic games. Um, I had an older sister who was kind of good at everything. Like she did all any and all sports. Then I had another sister who her only sport was shopping. <laughs> and then my younger brother, because I was number three, and then my younger brother um, was kind of like my mini me. Like we were, we were a year and a half apart and we kind of like went everywhere, did everything together. So it was just like whatever I did, he did. And whatever he did, I did. And so like we both played hockey. We both did baseball. We both did, you know, in the end, eventually I, I do track and field and my brother does track and field because I did track and field. And so, um, yeah, like what I was up to then, gosh, a lot of a lot of little things. <laughs> Were you a type of person that just wanted to try everything? And like you said, you didn't have a thing until you gotten older, but you were fine with trying new things out. Yeah, it's funny. I was just on a, another podcast recently and this um, kind of like discovery came to light for me where I realized like everyone has, has kind of asked that question, like how did you, were you just like willing to fail? Like how did you go out for different teams? And I kind of did like honestly in high school I just wanted to find like a sense of belonging like every high school student and I was trying out for basketball volleyball soccer badminton field hockey like all of those sports and I actually got cut from every single team in the ninth grade and so I was like oh okay like I guess I'm just the least athletic human on the planet (laughs) like and um, eventually I had a high school teacher see me in gym class and he's like you need to try out for the track team. And I was like, dude, I got cut from every sport at this school. (laughs) Like, you don't want me on your team. And he's like, no, no, no. I think I could teach you how to hurdle. I just saw you run in gym class. I'm like, I think you have what it takes. And I'm like, I mean, sure. So I went out for the team, ended up finding hurdles, falling in love with it, like being pretty good. And then that high school teacher and I stayed coach athlete until we made the Olympics together nine years later, which is fairly unheard of. (laughs) And the question is always like, how did you keep going out for those teams and I think largely it stemmed from the fact that my siblings as I just mentioned there's there's four of us and we have a very unique bond that I'm like obsessed with my siblings every chance someone gives me an opportunity to talk about them I will (laughs) and um I think that I so my eldest sister she's eight years older than I am and she had at the end of grade 12 graduated from um high school and her gap year between university and college, she decided to go and um, volunteer with an organization called One World. And you basically go down to an impoverished country and you become a third source of income for a family. So you're like a third parent. And she really saw the value of family and community and what it takes to be all together and to like raise you know, each other up and, and like have enough to eat and all these different things. And so when she came home from that, after a year of living there with them, she just brought that to our family. And so my 18-year-old sister wants to hang out with 10-year-old me, and I think it's the best day ever. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my God, like my big sister wants to hang out with me, and like, this is amazing. And so we would have these siblings days where my eldest sister, who could drive and could like, you know, take us out and be very much our guardian, would take us, the, the three younger ones and her, um, and we would have a siblings day, do an activity without my parents, just us. And because my older sisters treated me that way, I treated my younger brother that way. And we just were so close and so um, supportive of one another. Like, of course, I'm sure like there were like tiffs and like, you know, a little angry, like she took my sweater, like, <laughs> of course. But it's like when people talk about like, oh yeah, I had, you know, my whole university life like I didn't speak to my sister we were always in a fight or I just do not have that memory like I can't even fathom a time where I wasn't like obsessed with my siblings like they're amazing let me tell you about them (laughs) and so I think 
because of that support network, because of the security and the kind of like love and like everything I felt from them, that it allowed me to be brave enough to go out for these teams and, and be cut and feel like a failure because I had this incredible, immense amount of support at home from these people that I cared about like the most. Going through that time where you're getting cut from all the teams and then finally finding that passion with track and field, did it kind of boost your confidence in a way or mess with your mindset where I couldn't do this or I don't believe I can do this, but you had that positive message with the teacher that kind of gave you that extra lift? Yeah, I, I mean, I say all the time, actually, like that teacher believed in me before I ever believed in myself. And I think um, it definitely, yeah, in, infused me with like so much additional confidence. Like you, you again, you find your, your place of belonging, you find that thing that feels like yours. And it just like gives you this newfound kind of like, oh, that didn't go well. Well, that's okay. I have this thing over here. And um, it allows you to kind of push your boundaries a little bit and step outside your comfort zone in other areas of your life. And that's really great. The other flip side of that is once you find something that feels like yours and you start identifying with it and other people start identifying you with it is now you have this like new pressure, new stress to like live up to those new standards or um, kind of like boundaries you put on yourself that are like, this is the absolute lowest I can go. I have to win every track meet. I have to be amazing. Like there's no, like nothing allowed less than this. And so yes, it allowed me confidence in many areas of my life. Um, at the same time, it, it added suddenly this new layer of expectation, um, largely from myself. Like it wasn't like, you know, people were sitting there being like, you must, you must, you must. <laughs> But um, yeah, it was, it was a very, I, I feel very fortunate to have found sport because it, it built me into the person I am today in, in many ways. Like I didn't have to fall into that crowd that your parents are like petrified of every child going into. You, um, I like learned what grit meant. I learned how to challenge myself. I learned how to work hard. I learned how to balance school life and track and field. And I had to develop my own coping techniques for dealing with my own like demons standing on the start line being like you're not good enough <laughs> why are you here everyone's better than you and I think all of that um is a skill I would never trade anything like losing every race it would still be worth it <laughs> was there any track and field stars that kind of brought some inspiration to inspiration to you or motivation at all or were the motivation yeah from like your family I mean, certainly from my family, absolutely. Um, but there were some stars. There's um, another Canadian hurdler and I run the 400 meter hurdles. And so that's the intermediate hurdles. It's the long hurdles. It's one big lap all the way around the track with 10 hurdles spaced out like fairly far in between 35 meters, <laughs> which Americans might not understand what that even means. And to be honest, I barely know what that would mean. Like the cat um, we're trying to do. Yeah, it's like maybe like 200 feet apart. And, um, <laughs> and so... Um, there was a, another Canadian hurdler though, and she was the world champion in the hundred meter hurdles. And that's the ones you would see on TV all the time, have them lined up like bang, 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 all the way down the straightaway. And um, she was the world champion. Her name is Perdita Felician. And heading into the Athens Olympics in 2004, she had just come off winning the world championships. And so she was favored to win our gold medal at the uh, Athens Olympics. And you know, everyone was watching her race and the country was so excited to have her come home with that. And um, she makes it through the rounds and she's top ranked, top ranked, top ranked, comes to the final. And when she comes out of the blocks, she comes out, I guess, really fast and really hard with like probably more <laughs> energy than she's ever had in her whole life. So she ends up getting too close to the hurdle. She drives her lead leg up. She catches the hurdle. She like somersaults over, takes a hurdle with her, takes a girl down while she does it. Like it is this epic fail like not fail but fall and um it was like heartbreaking to watch her have to go through that she's like crying like I'm sorry Canada like and I'm I didn't even start track and field at this time it was just the year actually before I started track and field and I'm like oh man like this is so terrible I can't imagine what that must feel like and then I get into the sport the very next year and I now like see her at certain track meets that were like national championships or whatever and four years later, um, she like keeps training and she wins nationals every year in between. And then 
Now it's the 2008 Beijing Olympics and she gets hurt. And so she actually can't go to the Olympics. Um, and then she keeps training, continues to win the national championships every year. She's a 10 time national champion. She's an insane human. She's like in the final at every world championships along the way. She's like top, 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 just waiting for the next Olympic games to go in and win the medal that she was supposed to win eight years ago. So she shows up at the 2012 Olympic trials now, getting ready to go and qualify. And she false starts and gets disqualified from the Olympic trials. So doesn't even get a shot to go to the Olympic games. And so this lady is supposed to have won a medal in 2004, then gets injured in 2008, then false starts in 2012. Yet she trained and like never laid off the gas, like never let that defeat her the entire time. And, you know, I got to know her as I got better and I was in the sport longer and longer that I like saw the person she was and the energy she brought to the track and the role model she was for young athletes. And she's like, just truly became like one of my idols because I was like, this girl is like, not only a legend on the track, but like her mental resilience is like unheard of it was she's still and will probably always be a like massive uh role model to me kind of shows where you train so hard for that one moment at the olympics and then mm -hmm. anything can happen but she kind of picked herself back up and continued practicing and getting better and training because she had that mindset ready to go for next year's or the next summer games and, or the mm -hmm. national championship. And it's kind of a great mindset to have where anything can happen nowadays, but it's how you pick yourself back up and you continue to move on and not let the past get to you in a way. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. What was your dream job that you wanted growing up? Oh, man. I mean, I feel like I watched Free Willy and went to like an aquarium once and loved the dolphins. And so I remember like being super young, writing like, I want to be a marine biologist. And simply out of like, just saying like, they get to swim with dolphins and whales. Like, that's amazing. And I actually don't know how to swim. I still don't know how to swim. And so that was <laughs> quickly not a thing. Um, but I actually do remember saying I wanted to become a marine biologist until I understood that. I mean, I had to actually get in the water, learn how to swim, <laughs> like be cold in the freezing water. Like I was just not down for that. Um, but like, I guess initially growing up, like once I started to realize like what it would take and what I want to do, I was kind of toying between teacher and, and nurse. And I think I've always loved helping people and taking care of, especially like little kids like I remember being maybe like a 10 year old and I would want to babysit all the time like any kid on my block that would let me babysit like I would just be like let me babysit the toddler like I love them and so I think I just had this like passion for wanting to help and like nurture and um, support little little minds and so it was going to be initially that but I ended up going to school for kinesiology simply because it was relevant to my sport and what I was doing and I wanted to know what was happening to my body during training um, and then I was going to potentially either, you know, go and teach kin or, you know, become a professor around that or go into nursing. Um, but once I went through it, I, I kind of realized like, you know, now I'd made the Olympic games and there's this whole new world opened up of, I was being asked to share my story through speaking quite regularly. And I was on stages and now using this to like do good and teach people lessons. And I was it was like almost like the best of both worlds because you get to have the impact um, similarly to a teacher, but you don't have to deal with the hard stuff that all the teachers have to deal with. And I just get to be this like fun third party person who walks in and says like, okay, we should believe in ourselves. We should be resilient. Like we got to make sure that you combine your passion with your problem. And that's how you can create like an entrepreneurial venture. And like, you know, it's now it's just the fun stuff. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to ride this out. <laughs> So during college, were you training also for competition at the same time in track and field, or were you just more focused on the education side? No, I was very much an athlete student. <laughs> I, um, I ended up actually staying in Canada rather than going to the States on a scholarship um, because my high school teacher was a varsity coach at the University of Toronto, and I wanted to you know, get this big dream of making the Olympic Games. And so I felt like that teacher and him as my coach, that we could get there together. 
And so um, I knew I worked well under his training program. I knew that like we had this kind of shared goal and that he was going to always like respect the boundaries of like not pushing you too hard. Like there's some coaches out there that are like, you better throw up every day. <laughs> like, and I just, his philosophy fit my demeanor and um, we had already seen success together. And so I thought, okay, like, I think this is my best decision is to actually turn down these scholarships and stay with what I know is working. And initially my dad was like, that's a terrible plan. Like you could have all these bells and whistles down at these like big div one schools. Like, what are you thinking? And then I make the Olympics a few years later and he's like, good decision. So happy you did that. So talk about that process and the training to getting to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So your schedule and how, how hard it was, or maybe it was easy. <laughs> no, never easy. The sport <laughs> of track and field, if I could pick to be good at anything else, I probably would have chosen that because track and field is hard and awful. <laughs> like going for a jog, like a long run can be really nice. You know, it can be nice and people hate running, rightfully so. I also don't love running, you know, <laughs> but people can fall in love with the act of like training for a marathon and stuff like that, because going for a long, it's like, it's decompressive. It's like, feels good, but running as fast as you can to a limit that your body is like not capable of sustaining, <laughs> that is actually not fun. And so it can be really grueling, really painful. And my, my event specifically, the 400 meter hurdles, the 800 meters and the 400 meter hurdles are allegedly the hardest events in track and field. And I, you know, maybe self-serving and a little biased, but I would agree. <laughs> um, it is, yeah, it is an event that requires you to run as fast as you can for as long as you can. And the amount of lactic acid you produce, that like burning sensation you get when you run as hard as you can is obscene. And it just takes over your body and like the fluidity you had at the beginning, you're now like robot movements, like jiggity jarring because everything is overflown with, with this lactic acid and you're running out of glucose and glycogen stores in your muscles. Um, it is literally in survival mode. And I can't tell you how many times I would run until I made myself sick because the amount of lactic acid in your body raises your body's pH to be very acidic. And I guess like technically for the scientists out there, it's actually lowering your pH, <laughs> but um, then your body is trying to get rid of every acid it possibly can to help recalibrate and balance for like the, the acid um, basic balance in your body. And so you just, you're, you shut down. Like my eyeballs would get foggy at the end of like really hard training intervals, like round after round. And so Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays were the run till you die days. <laughs> like it would be multiple intervals, like maybe nine, 300 meters. And it would be as three sets of three. You have a set break between each set of three and you'd have a shorter rest where you're like, again, running just dial back of <laughs> what your fast run is and you're just doing that like again and again and again and again and you're pushing your body like which is well above that red line and so tuesday thursday saturday rough then um monday wednesday far more light and often sometimes maybe it'd just be like straight sprints so it'd be like you run like a 30 meter a 50 meter and a 60 meter you that two times as fast as you can with a ton of drills and a ton of warm up and all these different mobility things um and that would be the whole practice but it's a different energy system that requires like one and done like all power everything you have um and so it seems like so little but it's kind of crazy how tired you can become because your nervous system is like so taxed so monday wednesday would be more of that kind of like lower, maybe short, intense, um, but far less volume. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, far more volume. And then Friday and Sundays, like I would actually usually take both of those days completely off. Um, and that is simply because we've already put in so much work that if I don't take off those days, like I won't make it through the week over week over week that we would need to train. In your mind, was it worth going through the pain and all that for those Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday schedules? Or was it kind of like, 
well, I got to do whatever it takes to make it to the Olympics and win those medals. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, did I think it was worth that? Like, was I willing to go? Like, did I see the value in those? Yeah. In the like, were you willing to go through the pain to get to that end goal that you wanted? Oh, like most definitely. Like my coach will tell you a specific day where I'd had a, I had a bad race or a bad workout like the previous week. And I was so frustrated and mad by it. And I knew I was capable of more. And so I walked into practice on like a Saturday and he's like, um, you know, like new week, Sarah, like, come on, like, let's do this. And he's like, how are you feeling today? And I was like, I'm ready to run till I throw up. <laughs> that's like, all I said. Like, that's all I wanted. Like, I just wanted to work so hard that I knew with certainty that I was putting money in the bank, you know, and um, my coaches will like, my biggest downfall was that I was too willing to work that hard to the point that I would injure myself constantly. And, um, you know, not like constantly where it's like small, little, like, Oh, small, new injury, small, new injury. It was like, I would get overuse injuries where I'd be, and this is a whole other massive part of my story, but like stress fracturing my femur and your femur is your massive thigh bone, <laughs> biggest bone in your whole body. And a stress fracture is a deterioration of the bone from the inside out that leads to a crack. And so my biggest bone in my whole body, right before my first Olympics, I had trained so hard, pushed myself day in, day out with not enough recovery, with not enough awareness that more is not always better. And um, I didn't see that. And so I pushed too hard too often and ended up cracking my femur, <laughs> which is a feat. <laughs> going through those injuries did you kind of feel defeated in a way where I worked so hard and now so talk about being defeated or did you feel that going through the injuries that you were kind of defeated in a way um where you have right. accomplished going to the Olympics yeah um I'm devastated that it lost this other part. I feel like I was so in the zone for that. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm like, fuck, what did I say that was good? I remember thinking it was good though. Um, so I was very defeated um, because as I mentioned at the beginning, I wasn't good at any other sport. So this was my whole definition of myself. This is why, like who I identified as, what people expected of me. It's like why I thought people liked me. And so... I felt like I need to make this happen. And when the doctor said like, okay, no more training, I felt like I watched this thing I had been pursuing and striving towards for eight years, just evaporate in front of my eyes. And of course, like at the time of us filming this, it is in the thick of coronavirus. And I have no doubt there are so many people who are pursuing things and, you know, had been working years and years and years. And, you know, he finally got that dream job. And then in, what seems like overnight the world comes to like a halt and changes everything and you like lose that position your like role completely changes that thing you thought you could do you no longer can because of all the limitations and restrictions and like um it's just it's a really defeating place to be in and I think that was the hardest thing for me to get over because I went to sleep that very first night of learning of the stress fracture and finding out I had to sit out for three months um just crying myself to sleep because I felt like I watched this dream slip away and like, what a waste. And do I walk away now? Because it will be a lot easier than keeping going and missing the Olympics and like not qualifying. And so um, I wanted to give up in that moment. Absolutely. But the next morning I like, for whatever reason, like had a, spark of inspiration and I went to my physiotherapist talked about how we could stay fit how we could stay motivated what were the things we could do to stay within reach of the goal that would allow me to like possibly stay close enough that when I was cleared to run I could get back on and like maybe this was still possible and that three months was a roller coaster ride and it was every night crying myself to sleep and moments of inspiration just like that first night but a lot of moments of being like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? I'm only getting worse. I'm not getting better. I had to run a whole second faster than I had ever run in order to qualify. And in the sport of track and field, a whole second is a very long time as people yeah. will know that like it's won and lost by milliseconds. And so um, I sat out for three months, went to see the doctor. He was like, no, sorry, not healed. 
come back in another month. I was like, dude, are you serious? And that fourth month turned into five, six, seven, eight, nine months. And on my first day back to training, I got the word believe tattooed onto my wrist. And I said, when I make the Olympic Games, I'm going to put the Olympic rings underneath here. Like super bold move. Don't suggest everyone tattoo themselves of their goals, but needed to make sure that I um, like had this word of reminder, like, this is why you're strong. This is why you can get back up. And as silly as it sounds, like I now know the power of believing in myself because six months later, I won the Olympic trials, went to the Olympic games and finished as an Olympic semifinalist and one of the youngest competitors in the field. And so I came home and I finished that Olympic tattoo and I put the Olympic rings underneath the believe exactly where I said I would. And blew my own mind. <laughs> it was like, holy moly, like believing in yourself works. Why does no one tell you that? <laughs> and of course we hear it all the time, but we think it's for children and we think it's for people who have their head in the clouds. We don't think it's for people like you and I, like not, not people who understand reality. And I now know that it's like, Believing in yourself doesn't just mean walking in the door and being like, okay, I got this. I believe in myself. <laughs> but it means being brave enough to have a really big vision, like really scary, really out there. And then knowing you're going to face challenges, but have the grit to keep going anyways. And then have the resilience that once those challenges show up, that you're willing to overcome every single obstacle on, the long, on that path. Because that's what resilience means. Like being willing to overcome every obstacle on that path. And so... Ultimately, believing yourself is having that vision, grit, and resilience packaged up together. And that's what enables you to achieve that big goal. And that's what allowed me to do it. <laughs> I think we all have to, some of us have that mentality where we know that if we want to get to that end goal or that big goal that we have, we're going to go through every challenge and obstacle that's in our way and nothing mm -hmm. to stop us. Athletes, even CEOs, big business entrepreneurs, they all go through those similar situations where they have to battle and dig deep in themselves to get to where they want to be. And when they mm -hmm. get to the top, they're so happy of what they're able to accomplish. And people are inspired by those paths mm -hmm. that they take. When you were going to, or when you made it to the Olympics, what was going through your mind? I mean, immediately following the race, I was, as I described earlier, so full of lactic acid <laughs> that... I was so lightheaded and delusional and honestly, like, couldn't tell you which way was forward. And um, I didn't know if I was gonna like die or throw up or like be alive. And so I just crawled over to this grass patch. My siblings, who I love, are in the stands. They come running down. They're like hanging over the fence. They're like, oh my God, you did it, oh my God. And I'm looking up, to the, up them like a newborn baby. Like I must have like the glossiest eyes. Like I have no idea what's happening in the world. And I'm like, this is the best day of my whole life this is the best day of my whole life. Like, it was just this, like, incredible weight. Like, it was, like, carrying around this, like, backpack full of bricks. Like, you've got to make the Olympics. You need to make the Olympics. You're only worthy if you make the Olympics. And then it was, like, someone came and just slit the bottom of that bag. All of the bricks fell out, and I was just, like, living my best life, being like, this is amazing. And it was, yeah, pure elation. Like, just, like, so surreal. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to the Olympics. <laughs> like, what is happening? And I think it had just been my focus for so long that that night I actually remember finishing the, like cooling down, getting treatment by my massage therapist. And then it's like, I had to just, we had a ceremony the next morning where they like inducted us into the team and whatever. So I just like went back to our hotel and my partner and I at the time were like, what, what do we do? do to sell like I actually don't know how to respond in this moment and I we were like let's get pizza <laughs> like, and I just remember like us sitting there eating pizza being like this is this is it I guess like we did it like this is so weird that there's no more pursuit like we're just like okay we're and of course there was like okay now what can we do at the Olympics but certainly we had reached a checkpoint that was a really big deal. And it was just like the weirdest night where I was like, I don't know. I didn't think about beyond this moment. Like how does one celebrate? Yeah. So yeah, really interesting. As you got to the Olympics and past the Olympics, how long were you thinking that your track and field career was going to last? I think 
gosh, I think at least one more Olympics for sure. And I need to write down this thing about the pizza the next night because I'm like, that's a good story that I forgot about that. Uh, I'm like making a note real quick for myself. Be like, remember that thing. Um, but um, yeah, I think I knew I wanted to do another Olympic quad, especially being able to like ride the high now. Like, you know, I signed with Nike immediately after making the Olympics. I um, won a bronze medal at the World University Games. I like suddenly had this like new threshold of success and was like let me ride this out a little bit um but you never stay there like I mean that's not true not that you never stay there it's really hard to stay there yeah and that was certainly my experience and I think that's the misunderstanding I think a lot of people have is once you achieve that certain level of success that you assume that that's your new baseline and that <laughs> you know this is where I live from here like and that's definitely not the case for, like you said, like whether you're the CEO of a company, whether you like become this all-star athlete, whether you become this like amazing student, like whoever you become, like that threshold of success, like that's not your new baseline. It's not natural. It's not um, healthy. It's like, there's a roller coaster ride to be had. And for me, I got, like, you know, been getting better. I won a Pan Am Games silver medal just before the 2016 Rio Olympics. And so I knew like four more years, okay, great. Then go win a medal at the Olympics and then, and then you can retire. And so heading into 2016, I'm like, I'm a medal hopeful. I've just come off winning that medal at Pan Ams. I've only lost to the number one ranked girl in the world in that race. So like, I'm going to go to Rio. I'm going to win a medal. I'm going to retire. And right before the um, Olympic trials for Rio, I did a workout on a day I should have never worked out. My hamstrings were super tight. It was after a really big workout, but I felt all this pressure and all this stress to show up and be Sarah Wells and be this threshold and like make sure I'm always at this level of success. And I ended up in that workout tearing my hamstring mm. and it ripped like so loud. Like it sounded like a gunshot coming out of my leg. And um, I was like, devastated because I was like no 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 we're two months out from the Rio Olympic trials like I did the comeback story I did this exactly four years ago like not again like please god not again and I did everything I could to rush back like literally acupuncture shockwave laser therapy like you name it I did it and I was probably like 90% healed by the time Olympic trials came back around and I knew that top three would make the Olympic games and I had been a four-time national champion at this point. So I was like, okay, top three, I can do that. I can make that happen. And standing behind my blocks, like I'm just looking down at my belief being like, if anyone can do this, it's me. Like even at 90%, like I believe in me. Gun goes off. I give it everything. Like halfway through the race, I'm winning the race. I haven't trained in two months and I'm winning this race two months in. I like charge down the home stretch and suddenly girls are starting to come into my vision. I'm like, it's fine. Hold on. Stay here. Stay here. Just top three, top three. And as we get over the final hurdle, a third girl comes into my vision. We fight towards the line. I lean and I get fourth. Oh no. And I miss qualifying for the Olympics by half a second. And I'm devastated, like heartbroken because for four years I have been known as Sarah Wells, the Olympian. <laughs> I'm doing speeches, I'm on stages, I'm doing all this stuff around believing yourself, you achieve your goals. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now somehow Sarah Wells, the Olympian, doesn't make the Olympics. And it was heartbreaking and earth shattering for my mentality of like, I questioned everything. Like, how have I been telling people if you believe in yourself, you achieve your goals? Because I just believed in myself. <laughs> I did not achieve my goal. And so have I been lying to people? Is this all a sick joke? And I realized that I actually believed in myself more strongly after not making the Olympics, even more so than when I did. And I only came to that realization through actually stepping away from sport for an entire year. Couldn't go back to the track. And I did a ton of journaling and reflection and was like, yeah, I actually believe in myself more strongly after not making the Olympics. And so maybe you don't build self-belief through achievements, you build it through action, through choosing to get back up, through deciding to stand on your start line, whatever that is, 
regardless of the circumstances, regardless of knowing that outcome, that you're willing to like fight for it, to get out there. And that showed me a strength inside that like, I didn't know that I had. And so I was like, you know what? How can I help other people learn this? And that's when I founded the Believe Initiative, which is a youth organization that helps young people take a passion they have and a problem they wanna solve. And they use that passion to solve that problem. And they build self-belief through action. And you know, it's impacted over 100,000 students now and we've created curriculums and we go like in multi-school boards and like we're all over North America and um, it's so fun. Like I absolutely love it. <laughs> and I can't believe that all came out of an epic fail. And it would have never come true or never come to light. I would have never learned these lessons had I not have had to go through everything I did. And so I'm so, so grateful for that, that moment. And certainly now, like, again, with, you know, now I've been doing in-person events, doing all of this stuff for years and years. I just retired from sport in January of 2020 because I was like, I'm going to be on way more stages. I'm going to dive into this. Like, I'm going to make this my full time. And then coronavirus happens, all events are canceled, everything evaporates. And it's like almost just like part of my signature brand now. It's just like, go for a big dream and then have everything fall off your plate, like right before oh. you're about to get it. Oh. And, and then, um, but because again, because this happened and I had no events, I was doing a lot of virtual events and I was asking people, what's the biggest obstacle you're facing right now? So I could pull in some of the examples when I was doing my keynote speeches. And through that, so many people responded and were like, I have a ton of ideas and I don't know where to start. There's so many things I want to do with this newfound time at home, but I'm kind of afraid. And the more and more that came to light, I was like, I mean, I launched the Believe Initiative from an idea in my head mm -hmm. to a hundred thousand people and North American wide. And maybe I can teach other people how they can take their ideas, productize their expertise and experience and turn it into something that they can sell whether that's like, you know, consulting and training or curriculums and like, you know, not, not curriculums necessarily even in school, but like there's a ton of like leadership workshops and companies that hire people out for this stuff. And I was like, maybe I can teach other people to do that. And so thanks to coronavirus and all my events being canceled, I've now founded this new program called the Leadership Launch, which helps other people take their expertise and experience and productize that up into something that they can provide impact on, but also get paid to do. <laughs> and I'm having a blast. <laughs> and none of it would have happened if again, there wasn't this other like kind of rock bottom moment. So I've been so grateful for those in my life, really. I just, you, I just was on LinkedIn and I saw your posts about your mm. LinkedIn um, recap for the Believe Initiative. And yep. I watched that video and I enjoyed seeing the passion that you had for what you were doing and just the response yeah. from the kids, the teachers, the volunteers and everyone about they all believe in the word believe and how big mm -hmm. of an impact it has. And I think that's mm -hmm. important that you found this concept from what you went through and now you're helping people go through the similar situations and now seeing that they can believe in themselves to accomplish any goal that they have out there. Yeah, no, it's, it's honestly been so fun. And like, I wouldn't have, like these, some of these kids blow my mind what they come up with for their Believe Passion projects. And even now with the leadership launch, like, you know, the impact I could have with just me helping one like group believe in themselves is now like tenfold when I, am, I teach other people how to productize their offering. And then they go and teach you know, their experience and to teach other people these skill sets. It just ripples out so far and wide that um, it's like the most efficient use of energy. <laughs> it's really with, awesome. With the pandemic going on, are you still able to go to, and like talk to these kids in a virtual setting or is it kind of on hold right now until you get back into the in-person? events no right now I, I am doing um virtual resilience training so we're doing kind of like multi-series uh virtual events and then we're actually equipping young students that are like student leaders with almost like a train the trainer model so that way we train chapter heads and chapter heads can run the belief club at their school to help their peers like develop belief passion projects so still doing as much of it as i can at this point 
um, obviously schools are so overwhelmed and trying to deal with, you know, all the adaptations they're having to make themselves that they don't even, not even everyone has the bandwidth to even think about planning a virtual event with their students right now. Um, but those that have reached out and, you know, have capacity or bandwidth to do so, um, I've tried to do everything I can to be involved because it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly my passion. So moving to a fun topic, um, mm -hmm. you were on the amazing race. For yes. Talk about that experience and how you got involved in that opportunity. Yeah, so the amazing race is a wild time. Certainly, like it's it is as wild as you see on TV. Um, <laughs> it uh, came about my my training partner friend and, and I both really um, we do a lot of speaking and we both really care about community impact. We both um, really wanted to like do something like fun and wild to showcase um, our messages that like I talk about believing in yourself. Um, he talks about the importance of like support and community and um, we were like hey this is a way for us to live our message like maybe we do this and so going on the show it is nothing is staged like you're under time crunch you're in panic mode emotions are so high that they don't have to stage anything like it is you are <laughs> truly who you are on tv um, and the challenges are insane the craziest thing I had to do was dive under three feet of ice in the Arctic and find a clue. And they'd only carved out two holes in the whole like massive lake. And I had to go down under one hole, find the clue somewhere under the water and then come up where the other hole was on the other side. And it was, I can't swim as I told you. Yeah. <laughs> so I was the scared, like most scared human being I've ever, ever thought. And um, like, I was bawling my eyes out on national television. <laughs> Everyone saw it. My mom cried during the preview of the episode. And it was just like, it. but what was so cool about it was people always ask me when I finished the race, they're like, what was your favorite and least favorite challenge? And, you know, my least favorite challenge for obvious reasons was that challenge. Yeah. And my favorite challenge was also that challenge because it was one of the first times I've had something that scary that like that challenging that insurmountable in my brain that wasn't track related mm -hmm. and so I would like you know be like yeah I'm resilient yeah sure I can believe in myself but can I only do it over here in this one area or like is that a skill set I've actually developed and so being able to test that <laughs> and see it in action in that moment diving under the ice it was like a, a big moment for me to redefine what was possible for my mindset, for my body, for, you know, being able to put myself, push myself forward. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a very, very wild experience. For being away from track and field for a while, being on the show, was it kind of giving back your competitive atmosphere in a way where you kind of were able to feel like I got to win, I need to go for the first place and all mm -hmm. that? Certainly. I'm, I'm a very competitive person, even board games, it's not a good time to play with me because I'll lose friends and I'll just get so mad. I get so competitive. Um, but the, the show, Sam and I, my, my training partner friend, his name's Sam and that's who I was on the show with. And so we would both like, it was like, we wanted to be first every time, which added such an immense amount of layers of stress because early on, you just have to make sure you're not la like all the point of the race is don't get last and you keep moving forward you keep moving to the next round and it's like with that mindset the first like three to five episodes you probably don't have to be that worried as long as you're not like in last in that moment um but it's like we are basically always trying to win like we always want to win the leg of the race and that <laughs> just like made us crazy like you become like truly insane and you're you're in panic constantly and, and I think probably was our athlete nature in us to like kind of not accept anything less <laughs> yeah so yeah it was it was crazy is there anything looking back at your career that you would change or are you kind of happy that everything happened for reasoning to get to where you are today yeah I honestly you know look could I say I wish 
I didn't tear my hamstring before the 2016 Rio Olympics. Yes, I do wish that many times because I was so fit and I was in such good shape that like, I really do wish I could have seen how fast I would have ran that year. Like how fast would I have gone? Cause I was in the best shape of my whole life. And so I'm so intrigued of what that would have amounted to. But because of what I'm doing now and the story I get to share on stages of talking about like, yeah, sure. I was resilient. I did believe in myself. I got back up. And in 2012, I made it to the Olympic games and that was awesome. But then I believed in myself. I had grit. Like I was resilient. I got back up. And in 2016, it just didn't work out. Like I am able to stand up on stages now and like with my whole heart, tell them like, but I know that believing in myself, like brought me a strength, like showed me a side, like showed me that success, like we won't always achieve success just from hard work. But if we are resilient, that we'll always find another opportunity for success. And that's why believing in yourself is so important. And I can say that and everyone is like, okay, she gets it because she's not just coming from this place of like, well, I did the thing and it was easy for me. And so you should be able to do it. It's like, I did the thing. I actually like failed. Like I didn't get it. My most recent experience with the Olympic games was failure. Yet I'm still here to tell you how important the role of being resilient and believing in yourself really is. And I think that gives me such credibility. I think that gives me um, a story that's very relatable. I think it has inspired every action I've made since. And so for that, no, I still wish I tore my hamstring. And so it's both, but I don't regret that it didn't, that, it, that everything played out the way that it did. You mentioned earlier about your inspiration of the fellow track athletes. Do you kind of see similarities in your guys' story where she went through the challenges, she trained mm -hmm. hard, she went to the Olympics, it didn't happen. But when you met her, you kind of saw that she was still out there doing great things and being able to spread positive message like you are today, where you're spreading the positive message and what you learned from your experience. Yeah, it is interesting that that is the case, that like <laughs> so much of what I admired about her was more about her, what she didn't achieve, more so than what she did. And um and I think that has become a bit of a narrative that I happen to embody now as well because of the things that have gone on. So um, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a parallel there and <laughs> maybe I wished it upon myself. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so what does the future look like for you professionally and personally? What do you want to accomplish in the next few years as we're all going through this time? Yeah, well, certainly like January, 2020, it was going to be, okay, I want to make sure that I'm doing like at least 60 speaking events in a year and then doing in addition to that 20 believe summits which are our like full day summit experiences for young people and those 60 keynote events could be from corporate trainings to school-based stuff or conferences or whatever it may be and that was like going to be my goal like okay let's push hard for getting flying here there everywhere doing as many events and speaking and sharing this story as much as possible um obviously with coronavirus happening that goal has been kind of shifted and translated into this new mission I have of what if I'm not the one that has to be out there on the stage sharing the story like what if I teach other people how they productize their experience and expertise and then that ripple effect is 10 20 30 50 fold you know and so I've now been running these leadership launch cohorts we've done three rounds of it already um, we launch our next cohort uh, at the end of October. I don't know when this episode will be airing, but um, we'll probably be doing them. We pretty much relaunch them every eight weeks. And um, now my goal is to try to like really commit myself into growing the leadership launch. Right now we only take 10 people per cohort, but I'd love to be able to run two cohorts simultaneously um, and have 20 people um, per round, but still keep them separate as 10 and 10. So that way we can have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time and a lot of like me actually being able to be hands-on and help them grow and, and really make up their, their programming. Um, so now my mission honestly has really shifted to like, okay, let's still do virtual speaking. Let's still push for as many uh, events and things I can use platforms to share my story, but let's also make sure that I'm like really focusing on building other people up to make sure that they have a platform and an expertise to share their story. So 
that's my new focus. And if anyone is interested in learning more about that, you can go to leadershiplaunchprogram.com and then go forward slash info because right now the, the link is broken on leadershiplaunchprogram.com. So go to leadershiplaunchprogram.com forward slash info and you'll see everything there. The final question I have for you is based on your journey, what tips or advice would you give someone listening to this interview to overcome their challenges, accomplish their goals, and rise to their challenge? So I would have somebody sit down and like truthfully think about what it would mean to believe in yourself. Like what actions, what thoughts, what um, feelings would you want would come with that? And so writing that list down of like, I mean, I would act in this way. I would say these things to myself. I might take this leap of faith, like really writing that out and then asking yourself, okay, well, in order to be these things, in order to actually make these things happen, what do I need to stop doing? What are the things I need to remove from my life? And then what do I need to really pay attention to and focus on to make sure that I'm equipping myself with the tools, I am building up that muscle to be able to actually embody and be those things that would mean believing in myself. Because once you do that, and once you can do that, it is absurd, the amount of things you can accomplish. And again, I'm not here to say that if you work hard, if you do these things, you will always achieve success because you won't. Sadly, like I saw it firsthand, you won't always achieve success just because you worked hard. But while hard work won't always lead to success, being resilient will always lead to another opportunity for success. And that is my biggest piece of advice. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. We all have learned so much about your journey and we can take a lot from your journey about how we can rise to our challenge. And we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks for having me. Tune in next time because my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episodes of the video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.